Welcome to the Rumpus Room. Hey, everybody. How's it going out there? It's the boys from the Midwest back kicking it here in the Rumpus Room. And let's hit them with the takeaway message of the day. So teasing your significant other, your wife, your partner, I think that is something I've been having a lot of fun with my wife lately. And I think it's helped our relationship a lot. And, you know, most of the, let's just say your mom is going to be, say the first thing she's going to say if you bring this up is, well, you need to be careful, which is definitely true. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it requires you to kind of dance the line of, you know, going too far and not going far. Um, Obviously, I would start very simple and small, but I'll just give you what I've, what's been, what I've been having fun with lately. Uh, So we have a six month old who most of the listeners on our podcast know that. And my wife wants him to, to eat a lot. So she's really concerned with him eating. And yesterday she went to yoga because we're trying to give each other some time where she went to a yoga class and his feeding was right around that. And she came back and was like, oh, you know, how did he eat? And I said, you know, I he just wasn't eating. So I didn't feed him. And she just freaked out. Him, freaked out. Yeah. Which, of course, I fed him and he actually had a great day. But... Just those little things sometimes make life a little more fun. And your goal is maybe a little eye roll and a smile. So that's that's kind of what I shoot for. And we've been having a lot of fun. She teases me all the time, which I think it creates a good light atmosphere to, to go. Because life is very difficult. And there are a lot of moments where it's hard to find the the positives in what you're doing with, you know, your, your kid is not going down for a nap and you've been trying for 30 minutes. It's pretty frustrating. So, you know, if you walk down and say, wow, that went really well, <laughs> just like lets the air out of something. So I think that's, that's a good takeaway is just to try to be positive and have fun with your significant other while you're exploring life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. That's kind of one of the things I've been focusing on a little bit more last few weeks yeah well i mean as we were kind of episode planning here the uh, enormity of the world today uh, this is early april 2022 between you know world conflicts covid scares economy whatever um i think something we can all get behind is teasing your wife uh (laughs) it's just a good like uh unifying thing that uh you can rest assured that you're going to get these types of ideas from the rumpus room podcast yeah um we're really about bringing people together uh we're not trying to create divides here um and one of our main tactics teasing your wife it's a it's a go-to it's a go-to strategy yeah also uh toilet humor is goes real well in our uh familial bloodline households big time that one also is good to get the wife eye rolling on too. If you want an easy one, that's a, that's a slam dunk. Toilet humor is, but um, I don't know if I haven't broken into like the toilet humor realm. So if you recall the meet the Fockers, like circle of trust sort of a thing that like Robert De Niro is talking to Ben Stiller about, you know, you're on the cir- you're on the outside of the circle of trust, whatever it needs for, quite intimidated like my um 
my wife's family, not big into the toilet humor. You yeah. Know? You, mm. you hear some of it, but just not a ton. So I don't know if there's like, you know, an inner circle of trust. That's just the boys where it's a bigger deal, but I don't think I've ever heard an audible fart. Oh, so see, that's the same with my in-laws. No farts. Same. Yeah. So we got into diaper humor, which is like step one sure. of like, Oh, did he have a blowout? Yeah. Oh, you know, you start there. Poop everywhere. Oh. Yeah. Oh, it's poop on my hand. Ah. <laughs> yeah. It's fine when you're talking about a baby's toilet humor, yeah. right? And you start to pick, you know, when you start to talk about yourself and diarrhea, people get a little uptight. A little uncomfortable to hear about your last BM. Yeah, <laughs> which um, I, uh, I've been, so our family has a history of gluten intolerance, which not by choice. So... Yeah, this question, is no this is no flavor of the 21st century here no you know? no and, and actually how i always combat that is say well you want to just come join me in the bathroom after i eat this you can uh participate in what i have to deal with <laughs> so that's one i've been done but i dropped that one i think a little too liberally at a a friend's dinner and that um didn't quite land with one of the the ladies in the group so sure yeah yeah that's uh swing and a miss so can't win them all. No. Um, it's a sort of an interesting backstory for those of you who may not know uh, or be as close to it, but uh, our mother was diagnosed with celiacs roughly 26 years ago. So mm-hmm. um, early 90s, so way ahead of the craze per se. And uh, that entire side of the family has uh, varying levels of gluten um intolerance to full-on celiacs and um actually a fair amount of lactose intolerant um folks as well so uh kind of interesting about how um the uh the genetic food things move around and this is a very scandinavian family that uh and the one I'm talking about specifically that has also the dairy uh, lactose intolerant component there, you know, extremely Scandinavian and extremely Danish. And uh, for whatever reason, their gene pool um, comes with a lot of gastrointestinal, uh, shall we say, hurdles. Um, but I was uh, actually talking with a friend of mine about child rearing Um obviously it's when you become a father, I, as I mentioned in the last podcast, I try my best not to make every conversation about kids. And, um, uh, I was just sort of casually asking one of my friends from college. I said, you know, she just got married. She's an old business school person, Deloitte, Deloitte consultant, like, you know, she's talking about how much she loves being on the road because she can work 80 hours a week without feeling bad. Mm. that's her personality. There you go. Yeah. So, um, she's like about as tightly wound as a person I've ever met. Um, still extremely kind and generous, but like just really intense. Both of her parents were in the air force. I think one of them was an air force pilot. And so military family and like that message sort of reigned true throughout her, um, upbringing. And so, I asked her about, um, you know, she's 32, probably. Um, I I just 
asked her, she just got married. I was like, are you thinking that you're wanting to have a family? And she just said, I don't know. We're going to go down to the fertility clinic, a friend of mine and I, uh, or some doctor, I don't remember exactly, but I believe it was some sort of fertility specialist uh, next week, actually, and just learn more about our options. Um, freezing eggs is becoming like a hugely profitable and widespread service. It costs a lot of money. Um, like what's the number? Like $30,000? grand, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can freeze Damn. just eggs or you can freeze fertilized embryos. And that apparently goes really, works really well because then when you're ready, you just like implant those fertilized embryos and you don't have to go through the fertilization process. And hmm. I was once, this was all pretty new to me in terms of like what they can do today in IVF. And I was chatting with a, a Jewish friend of mine and he was talking about how in the New York Jewish community and probably in Israel as well. Their genetic testing before a um, before having kids is just like standard practice. Everybody does it hmm. because uh, Jewish people have typically more exposure to genetically passed down disorders because of how close, more close their bloodlines are. Mm, yeah. So um, they have much higher incidences of um, various different genetic disorders. I can't, I couldn't name them offhand, but apparently he was telling me about how this is like just commonplace in the community that he's from. Interesting. He's also the son of a very wealthy hedge fund manager, so money is no issue ever. There you go. That's part of it. That's part of it for sure. Um, and he was telling me they can even go as far in IVF as because what they basically do is like they create fertilized embryos. Um, if if well, they do genetic tests and figure out like success, like likelihoods of having genetic disorders from a um, from a match. If it's high, then I believe they can um, even have like fertilized eggs that they then test and um check their math basically <laughs> uh-huh and so you have you know like whether or not that embryo has that particular uh genetic disorder and then they implant it in the wife and you know you're on your way so wow. um and he was also talking to me about how it can go as far as like you can pick which character which which traits you like want introvert like, extrovert type thing I, I don't know if they have that one marked on the genetic scale quite yet <laughs> but uh they certainly have like eye color and hair color and like relative understanding of kind of height and body build and stuff like that what about so, like intelligence or any of that stuff can they i i don't think some of that stuff is as well encoded as in terms of like you know sort of your genetic traits like things that are explicitly like i'm sure there's some degree of your intelligence coding and your genetics, but I would imagine it's a much more difficult math problem to solve than like, what color is your hair going to be? Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, for sure. Um, like I think skin tone is one of them. There's a, there's a lot of uh, fascinating things that can be done today um, wow. with IVF. And so um, it's a, it's a wild world out there. Yeah, we are, you know, and you talk about the advancements in 
our species, like that could really be a game changer. It really could. Yeah, I, I could see a world where um, for certain people, like selecting your child is uh, a part of the process. Jeez, talk about like the the great divide of like having a lot of money oh my versus God. not. You know, like the advantages that that shows is just crazy in terms of, you know, like survival and, you know, like pretty soon they're going to be like, okay, let's get LeBron James with, you know, let's try to get this guy that's seven feet four that can jump for, you know, like that's just, that's like the crazy doomsday scenario of that. But if it's you trending that way, oh man, if you look at the, and we've already talked about the Chinese Olympic team in terms of the body transformation that they've had in the last 20 years, like, yeah. There's a, absolutely no doubt in my mind that that type of thinking and experimentation is occurring in the world. I'm yeah. not just saying it's the only, only the Chinese, like having Olympic village be a place is like a small Petri dish of, you know, people trying to get that going. Right. Like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, all right, let uh, it, let's, you know, go. Yeah. It's very should hand out. They should hand out condoms that have like a, a hole oh, popped in them. <laughs> we're going to seed the world with just super athletes here. Seriously. I mean, that's, um, you, and you, when you, you know, what's an interesting thing about the Olympics is you start to read about, so I, I read a little bit about Russia and their doping. I mean, the amount of energy and effort they put into that thing is unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like they are putting some of their best scientists in charge of these, things which is to win the olympic games and it's like it's it's crazy well they certainly aren't putting them into the ukraine strategy that's for sure um at least according to the apparently not the news that we're hearing but hardcore caveat here uh i just have increasingly less faith in the information that's coming in and the ukraine war is one of those things where i'm just like man i'm getting people telling me that Putin has bad intel. People are lying to Putin. Wow, the, how the hell, how the hell would the United States CNN get their hands yeah. on that media story? Yeah, exactly. People closest you know, to Putin are lying to him about the progress in the war. What? Yeah, it's like if Minnesota attacked Wisconsin, do you think our governor is going to have better information or do you think Israel is going to have more? You know, it's like we're so far away. Are and, we. Like just even when you look at geo, you know, from the geography standpoint. Yeah. I mean, so here's the thing that like, I know we talk, we, we were like COVID is just crazy, but one of the stats that came up was, and this is really getting me to reconsider the information that I've been getting is just Adam, a percentage. How much do you think of the ad spend for major media sites is for pharmaceuticals? pharmacy you know pharma big pharma um i know it's going to be a larger number than i expect but i'm gonna throw up 30 percent. 75 oh my good lord yeah so just keep that in mind and i like there's a reference there's you could just i would just google it it's very easy to find but just think about the covid all the information you're getting from these major media sites, if 75% of the money they put in their pocket comes from one single source, which is the creators of these vaccines, 
So it's like that information, when you learn it, you're like, oh my gosh, you're like, what, you know, they're, you think they're going to risk 75% of their revenue? I, I don't. So no. Oh man, it is. Oh, it's a bleak, it's a bleak reality sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I think, you know, trying to what, stay positive out here. What can we, what can we take from away from this industry. without, you know, wanting to <laughs> run into a wall at first? Tease your wife. Uh. Yeah. Tease your wife. Starts good. Go outside, get a ton of sunlight. <laughs> yeah. Breathe <laughs> hug in your, that, that Hug pressure. your mom and your dad. Yeah. Um, uh, hit the I, sauna I, you know, a couple times a week, you know. Sauna. Uh, and, you know, these are all things that we actually try to do, but, um, you know, there are some, I think, you know, one thing I've tried to take is like, how do you, how do you take in information and not let it affect you or just take it as like, oh, that's one perspective versus this is the, the truth, you know, and you just like, there's, I've, I've just been trying to have this filter that I consume things differently with. And I think that's been a big learning from that I've had over the last six months. Yep. Cause, uh, it's pretty nice. I, I think we talked about this in the last episode, which I think people should check out our last episode. We're getting, we're getting better at these. Um, but we're getting better at being able to change people's opinion and to find how to poke people emotionally. Like, no, oh, yeah, they're really good at teasing our wife. So <laughs> oh, man. they know how to poke you and they've got data and they know, Oh, you know, 50% of people, 50% more people click on it. If I use this emotion versus, you know, it's like, they're just testing constantly. So, well, and when you, um, put the, realities of online internet call it monitoring in front of millennials right if you say do you care about google amazon facebook whatever monitoring all of your income traffic to push you things Mm -hmm. baby boomers are highly against it um and as you move down in towards the younger generations the fear of privacy and data tracking diminishes big time but when you see a statistic like that that 75 percent of marketing spend is from pharmaceutical companies i bet if you told a gen zer that that's where your your utilization 75 percent of the time is going so that they can sell sell you messages and things around openness to new, you know, therapeutic interventions. I think that's the type of thing that like, just is totally missed because the context in which a young adult thinks about like, Amazon tracking their search behavior is like, oh, they're just going to push me like a better product. Stuff that I want. Stuff that I want. Oh, they're going to be able to predict what I want better than I know. (laughs) Oh, really? You think they're going to do this for your good? For your well-being? Yeah. (laughs) Like, you think they don't have a vested interest in keeping you dumb and, you know, docile? (laughs) Like, you know, here, just click on this button. Don't even do it. Don't even think, you know, buy this because it's gotten higher profit margin than we can make more money off this one. 
we'll just record every conversation that you have in your home. Who cares? Then we Who can cares? order stuff that you want better to you, so you don't have to yeah. get off the couch. It's for your best interest, I swear. <laughs> we are looking out for you. Well, this is the thing that's been very frustrating is there's like this subtext of a lot of the different things of like, we know better than you. you oh, know what I, tell me. And that's, that's what's really been difficult for me as we go through this pandemic of listening to the, you know, like the dissemination of information is like, well, we, we can make, we know better than you do. You, we can't quite trust you with everything. Like that yeah. just really makes me want to, you know, grab a pen and start drawing on myself. Cause it's like, Oh, this is so frustrating. It is. Uh, and it's been a narrative that the COVID crisis has really exacerbated in terms of you dumb person are not able to make decisions that are in your best interest. So let us come up with those decisions for you and then yeah. you should subscribe to them. Yeah. Masks and, uh, work, you know, it, it's just like, it's crazy. Well, and what I, um, what I fear is the thing that people are, you know, some of the vigilantes around free, free, free speech and um, the sovereignty of the individual are talking about is like, if you think the government is going to let go of this power willingly, you are naive and dumb. And that's, that's what scares me is like, um, how people put faith into this institution in time of crisis. And like, yeah, I agree that during a pandemic, there's a certain amount of like coming together that you have to do in order to, um, beat these types of things or harm reduction. I mean, so here's the, uh, like harm reduction is a thing that I got a lot of exposure to in the opioid community. Um, when I was working for a startup that was like delivering medical care in substance abuse rehabilitation clinics, they're called rule 31 facilities. They are, um, typically 60, 30 to 90 days mandatory stays for individuals to get clean. And they're typically paid for by insurance or Medicaid. And, um, it is a eye-opening environment um, mm. to see people who are at varying levels of clean and sober. And there's this thing in the community of um, whether or not medication-assisted therapy or harm reduction is a good idea. Um, yep. And it's a, it's a lot like the abstinence conversation for DARE, right? Like, or excuse me, DARE, drug abuse, um, Yep. or even sex, right? Sex, like, yeah. should you talk about sex and talk about using a condom? Should you talk about, you know, smoking weed and doing it and not driving? Or should you just be like, oh, abstinence from everything? Yeah. And it's a huge deal in the opioid community, because what if you have somebody who's been abusing heroin every day for, you know, 10 years, five 10 years, years. like yeah. they're biologically absolutely like they could die if they, they will die or there's a yeah. chance they'll die. Yeah. From medical mm -hmm. medically. Yeah. And so medication assisted therapy, which is, um, something called, they've got a variety of different drugs these days. Suboxone is one of them. Um, or methadone is the, uh, more well-known one, which is basically a low dose of pharmaceutical grade opium you get, um, or an opiate rather. 
Um, and methadone is, is a trip because methadone, you have to show up every day. And if I've already told you this, let me know. I don't know if this is any interesting at all. Nope. I love it. Go for it. All right. So methadone is a, um, is a pharmaceutical opiate that you drink typically. And every day you have to show up at the methadone clinic and get in line for your dose. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, if you go to a methadone clinic, because there's a huge problem with like, I can't give a drug abuser 30 doses of methadone because they're at risk for selling it or, you know, just taking it all. Mm -hmm. And so you have to go there once a day and get a dose and it's tremendously disruptive to, you know, anybody trying to hold a job, be a parent, whatever it is. Um, I don't even know if, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do that. Like, oh, okay. I have to go to, it, it'd be really difficult to think about like our own lives. Like think about, okay, every single day you have to, wherever, it doesn't matter where you are, you have to show up at this place at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so um, then there's like Suboxone, which is, uh, you can get a prescription for that. You can get a 30 day supply and it's supposed to be a better alternative. Some people believe, but there's a huge um, sentiment in the recovery community about whether or not we're just exacerbating the issue by keeping people addicted to pharmaceutical grade opiates, or if it's actually a harm reduction strategy by getting people, you know, somewhat controlled doses instead of them going out and finding it on the streets. Mm-hmm. And it's a real, Um, it's sort of the same, I mean, it's a similar conversation to like Alcoholics Anonymous, fully abstinence versus can you have a drink every once in a while? And I know there's a lot of different personality traits that are into the situation, but, um, Mm -hmm. this, this idea of harm reduction is like, uh, something that I think we're, we're, we are contextually dumb at addressing when it comes to, you know, human beings, like, I would consider the COVID response largely a harm reduction approach. Like the whole idea of a quarantine of a mask mandate is like, look, we're going to try and limit the harm here. So in, in my mind, it's kind of wild that like there's even these big psychological debates, particularly in the, in the recovery community when like, it's so classically obvious that people are doing a harm reduction strategy. Um, and there's, there's research that says, I, you know, both sides of things. It's not, it's not a, uh, it's not a clear cut picture. And, um, I'm sort of wishing and waiting that, um, we would have some information about like, you know, more appropriate harm reduction strategies and, and just a better weighing of like the social, um, and, uh, uh, environmental and economic costs of things on this like harm reduction scale. Like I feel like this, and this is a, this is a huge focus in the healthcare industry, which is basically called like 360 degree reporting. You know, it's not just reporting your productivity, it's reporting productivity, patient satisfaction, quality utilization, you know, this 360 view, um, it's, it's frustrating because I think this type of 360 view in the social setting is almost never really um, discussed. So I want to give out a free ad. So 
I have been talking uh, to a co-founder in the uh, recovery and mental health and drug addiction space. And this company is called Your Path. And the the group that they, so they just raised uh, a, a good amount of money. And I have been connecting with this founder because he used to work at uh, a very large center. Think about where all celebrities go. And he said, there, the the outcomes in the clinical efficacy of these programs is laughable. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. what's the program that people come back seven times? Yeah. So he's super frustrated with the whole model. Obviously, if you pay attention to our podcast, healthcare is financially driven, no matter what anybody tells you. But he just said this, the problem with it is there are tons, there's tons of evidence around recovery for, let's just say, different types of people that there are different things that work for different people. And so it's not the inpatient solution for everyone, the outpatient, every single person has a different profile. And so their whole goal, which I really think is awesome is to assess the individual and then make a determination on what they should do. And, you know, like Alcoholics Anonymous doesn't work for everyone, obviously. So what they do is they kind of, use their clinical background to make decisions and work with people and they are open to multiple ways of recovery. You know, his thing is like everybody's in their own silo and they don't communicate and, you know, my solution is best just because, you know, brand name. So anyways, I, I hope there's this kind of push and that's why I really like this guy is because he's really smart. He gets it clinically. He's got some good clinical a good clinical team that's very experienced. But I do think what you're talking about is like the, the way I think socially we also participate in these discussions is like, you know, very simple and this is the one way we're going to do it. So I just think it's really an interesting topic, especially opioid crisis is, you know, this is still something we're definitely dealing with. It's still something that is hurting a lot of communities. Uh, so it's, it's something, you know, we got to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, I have, am, I guess, friends and business associates with this gentleman who runs a genomic mapping, um, nonprofit out of Stanford. And, uh, they, the way he described it to me is like, typical genomic mapping um, can look at your human genome sort of on the scale of like three to five X, if you will. Okay. The picture that they're giving is 300 X. So it's um, much more detailed, basically call it, you know, a hundred times more detailed than um, what, traditional genomic mapping techniques do and um, they're focused on high extremely complex and rare diseases right so you know things that are debilitating to the 30 year old who's got some strange genetic thing going on that you know their out outcomes are extremely poor but if you have an understanding of their genetics at a high degree of specificity you can design treatments that um, 
are much more sophisticated in their in the very early stages they've probably mapped like you know four different conditions for four different patients um or like four different genomes of patients because it's so labor intensive and then obviously they you know they're going the whole machine learning route and everything so um it's something like that oh, you're gonna get funding you got to say those words yeah <laughs> Uh, so, um, it's fascinating because when you're talking about like something like your path, which substance abuse, if you want to talk about the largest, um, impact on the American economy, it's actually mental health and substance abuse. It's the number one, like driving factor of disability, lost productivity and costs to the United States economy. Mm. I mean, it's no mystery. It's, it's international life would, I would probably say the same thing in other, but it's, uh, the number one cause of like disability rather. And, um, the, uh, something like your path, which I would imagine there's an assessment component. There's a behavioral component. Uh, I think it'll be very rich when these two worlds collide in terms yeah. of the, you know, kind of genetic component. And that's what I was sort of advocating for him to get into is like, you need to be looking at claims data and, and assessment data from, from visits too, and triangulate the issue from both sides. Yes. And, um, he, uh, was like, all right, great, let's partner. Can you get me that data? <laughs> like, uh, hold on. You don't just get people's claims data. <laughs> um, Tell to call but, me. uh, yeah. Uh, um, different environment and where I'm, you know. Yeah, no, and but, it's, uh, you know, I think we've talked a lot about healthcare and I think it's interesting because there's a ton of social implications with healthcare that are very interesting, I think, to us. And Well, and the, the this triangulation, this bringing together of genetic information and um, behavioral consumption, you know, um, diagnostic information, there's a, uh, It'll be fascinating because I would imagine that it'd be such a rich way to say, look, you have a biological predisposition to be more successful in these avenues of treatment. Mm-hmm. I do not think that world is very far away. God, that's going to be so great. I mean, that that sounds to me like such a, a really great way to go forward. Um it's this podcast using... is brought to you by Pfizer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm completely kidding. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, there. I mean, this is a... Of course, we go from teasing your wife and we just jump two feet into the mud with healthcare, which is, of course... But I think that's really where you and I is are spending a lot of our time. And that's where a lot of our mental head space is. But I, I do, you know, these are things that we'd, we'd love to just kind of predict and see what happens in the next 10 years. And you guys can all sit here and tell us that we did it right or we did it wrong. And, you know, we'll definitely own up to it. We're not going to be right all the time. If there's, if there's one thing we know how to do, it's armchair quarterback. It's, yeah, exactly. Especially on a, you know, on a morning, a nice, beautiful morning like this. We both had our coffee, so uh, it's pretty hilarious. The uh, there's a fishing trip where we go up into the middle of nowhere in Canada, and it's it's uh, just a gas. It's a lot of fun, and it's pretty hilarious because the um, 
conversational direction is uh, directly associated with caffeine intake and um, the amount of political, uh, <laughs> shall we say, diagnostics and uh, words and, per minute increases severely from about nine to eleven. And so do the uh, so do the so do the confidence levels around being right. <laughs> opinion level, opinion <laughs> yeah. confidence level goes skyrockets. Which so, I do think we're hitting a crescendo right now because I just finished cup number two. Oh, see, I just I just downed cup number one, so uh, I was you know feeling the caffeine rise and my confidence levels around my you know perception uh, and assessment of the situation. Which, um, who knows? Who knows if that's uh, if that's a a, uh, a fallacy of caffeine? It certainly um, makes it more fun. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, in terms of you're riding the wave, right? Yes. And speaking of drugs, <laughs> caffeine, baby. Spinning the wheels. Yeah. It's like putting gasoline on a fire. You know, sometimes you can really go. Um, I is. have just on this topic, I've been been paying attention to my daily energy. And right now I'm hitting like my peak, peak time. You know, I'm usually between 9 and 11 is like peak time for me. This is my favorite time to do work. Like I hate writing. Yeah, or like deep work that it requires my attention and focus. I hate it when I have meetings right now because I don't want to talk to people. No, no, I, I, I've tried my hardest to do afternoon meetings. I've tried Con to put all energy there. Weekend conjecture, though. Sign me up. Oh, perfect time for that. <laughs> Making predictions on things that are very hard to measure in the future. Let's do it. Some folks are in church paying homage. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, we are, uh, we're analyzing. We're analyzing. Well, Why don't we, uh, we promised everybody the Ukraine, we the Ukraine opinion. All right. Um. So, this is a. Um, this is a, some somewhat jaded and, um, so I'll, I'll, I'll start with, if any of you watched the Duke Blue Devil, Arizona, or excuse me, North Carolina Tar Heel basketball game last night, the, uh, excuse me, somebody's trying to get into my house here. The uh, there was a there was a significant differentials in fouls called. Do you recall that part of the game? Oh yeah, beginning of the second half. Yeah, and um, it seemed like the refs were not necessarily calling the game equal, and the North Carolina coach was livid, freaking rightfully, out, rightfully so. Um, and he he got enough of attention that I actually think that his his kind of outburst outbursts were critical in the refs being like, Oh gosh, um, it worked. It for sure worked sort of yeah. change this. And it's things like that though. Like coach K has this story. It's a, it's a, it's written on a silver platter for the media to be like, Oh, storied career goes out on top, blah, blah, blah. And whether or not it's conscious or unconscious doesn't change the fact, it doesn't change the fact that like, the vowel differential was extremely out of whack. And so whether or not somebody from NC, 
AA basketball operations, uh, the VP who they showed earlier in this, in the, in this, <laughs> as man of the year, you know, whatever, whoever it was, I don't know if you saw that cutaway. No, I didn't. Uh, okay. Um, but, uh, whether or not they were told explicitly by, you know, somebody in basketball operations, or if just, they were also sort of subject to the storyline and it influenced their, you know, um, supposedly, un you know uninfluenced opinion about the 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 game and so i i look at these things and i keep seeing them all over where it just seems too convenient to have um some of these narratives that work out so well and um there's a narrative that to me is a little suspect happening right now and that narrative is uh the ukraine war occurring so close to the wrap up of COVID. And um, I think it's just such a convenient additional news story to keep this hysteria and churn going. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things that like you couldn't have timed it any better for so many reasons. Well, yeah, we're all, we're, we're, everybody's done with the COVID thing. Like it's every single person that I talk with is like, it's not what they want to, what they really want to be focusing on anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. I think you're exactly right is the energy that's been put into it and the amount of effort. And we're not saying that the war is good or anything. We're just saying the amount of coverage that is going into this is timed very, very well. <laughs> it is. And um, so fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. What is it? I don't remember it. Something about if you're fooled three times, you're really a, you're really a dope. And um, yeah, I think it's your fool me once, fool me twice, fool me three times. I'm a D horn. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I think that's the abridged version. Yes. Uh, <laughs> for those of you not from the Midwest, a D horn is a, is a, a doldrum, a low, a low intelligence. It is what it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> You're a D horn. Um, I'm a D horn, I guess the, the phrase. So um, sure. COVID hysteria. I, I understand that. Number two, served up on the platter of the American conscience, Ukraine. Um, what is number three going to be? Um, Hunter Biden? I, no, I I don't think so. I don't think that's you know big enough. But um, the oh god, I just saw the scariest. I just saw the scariest analysis of ballot harvesting in. Um, in Wisconsin, that 14 individuals shepherded in and ballot harvested using geolocation data. This thing is about to pop off, Sam. And uh, Ooh, um, maybe uh, ballot harvesting. It's illegal to take mail in ballots and go around and scoop them up from people and then drop them at a ballot box. They yep. took they took phone data and they've tracked people down and they have identified like 14 people who, you know cross Wisconsin donated or 
gathered like hundreds of thousands of ballots. Anyway, it's going to be a mess. We are going back into um, a vicious 2020 election. um, Well, don't tell Don the man about that one. No kidding. So um, anyway, uh, well, once he gets a hold of that narrative, you better believe that it's going to be all over the place. So um, what I'm what I'm wondering is like, can the hysteria can will it stop? Will there be like a third thing that's on the global geopolitical scale? Or are we just going to live in an environment that is like hyper dominated by these high pressure dialogues about what's going on in the world today? And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, we could like return to a breathe easy period, but I'm, I'm also not naive to think that things are going to go back to the way they are. Yeah. It's too much fun for a lot of people that that talk about stuff too. It's been a hell of a lot of fun for people who love drama. Yeah. Which it's a very human thing to to enjoy that. And you know what? Markets love volatility, baby. So exactly. Um, we could be in the new normal here. And so if there is like a third geopolitical thing that, you know, just keeps up the intensity, we may be on a, a, a wild ride here for the rest of our, um, for the rest of our lives, unless we choose to, you know, tune in and, or whatever Tim, Timothy Leary suggested. Um, anyway, it's, it's a, it's, it's another narrative that if you were to construct a, um, way to just keep the human populace on its back heels, really, you know, in terms of people being able to relax, people being able to breathe easy, people being able to um, make sound decisions about their futures, people being in less states of hyper, you know, kind of sustained stress. Um, It's just another thing. And so I, I really hope that like, soon we come um to a better understanding of how to how what what the appropriate response to these things is and it just seems it just seems all very convenient to me that this would occur shortly after to divert the attention to be the next thing um i don't know i texted my buddies i was like hey does anybody have a fresh take on this ukrainian thing right like when it was popping off and one of my jokester friends responded back he said now nah, wake me up when they invade Taiwan. <laughs> I was like, oh gosh, no. that is not very far away too. So, um, I don't know, man, it's a, it's a strange, it's a strange world that we live in. And so that was, that's my hot Ukrainian take. Yeah. Well, you know, come join us here and we'll be, we'll be able to give you our perspective on everything we got. That's right. So, um, we'll be back kicking it here in the rumpus room. 